Hey, Dave. Howdy. <laughs> uh, so you showed up this morning um, looking sharp in a, in a new suit, and you had a pretty cool interaction with, with, uh, with God uh, through that. Can you tell us about that? Well, yesterday I bought this beautiful Joseph A. Bank never-worn jacket for $10 at, <laughs> at a Goodwill store. But first I left there, and I wasn't going to do it because I didn't think the sleeves were right, but they are. And I, got, I just kept having somebody say to me in my mind, go back and get it. So I did. And then my sister said, well, you already got two of them, different ones. Did you need another one? And I said, well, I did it. And then this morning God said to me, I wanted you to do it. I wanted you to wear something new today for me, just like I made you new. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Dave, you have lived in the same house essentially your entire life, um, which is amazing. Uh, I think I've, I'm on like house number 22, and uh, I'm, in my, I'm in my early 30s here. So can you tell us about growing up and, and your family just a little bit? Yeah, I grew up next door in my grandmother's house. My father and mother lived with her until after he came home from World War II, and he started saving to build a house, and she gave him a lot to build it on. So I lived in the old house until I was nine years old, and then when my dad was done building the house, we moved up there. So I've lived on those properties there, that whole farm, my whole life. And uh, there's there's a church right next to you, and that's connected to your, your family story too, right? Can you tell us about that church and, and its connection? Yes, when I was a child, I went to the uh, UCC, which was sharing a church out on 422 across from uh, uh, the old Lakeside Inn. And the Lutheran church was there, and they wanted to build a new church, and they were looking for a lot. And my grandmother called them up and said, you can buy my property on that corner for a fair, reasonable price and build it there. I want a church there. I don't want homes there. I want a church where we can go and be Lutherans again. (laughs) Because that's what she was raised in. My grandfather was Methodist. I never met him, but she was raised as a Lutheran. The good Lutherans, the old days, like out, 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 in, in, out in Missouri where they have the Missouri Synod, and I listen to the Lutheran Hour every week, and it's incredible the way they preach the gospel there compared to the liberal church in the Northeast. Well, I, I can testify there's a lot of good stuff happening in Missouri. So. As long as it isn't the Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Phillies beat us up this weekend, so... Um, you uh, things were good growing up, but you also had some real hard stuff. Um, wh- whatever you'd like to share with uh, with your dad growing up and and some of the difficulties. Well, it, it just seemed that I never really got along with my father, and I think he always wanted to just have daughters. He didn't really want a son, which is unusual. And uh, also, I hate to have to say, it, but my father ran around on my mother, and it made me have a almost a total sort of inside hatred for him. I really didn't hate him, but I hated what he did, and I just, we never got along. We'd fight and yell and scream at each other. He'd hit me sometimes. Hmm. That was pretty rough. Um, he uh, he also struggled with um, alcoholism, I, I believe. Yes, he, he it, the last few years before he died, he used to fall down on his face sometimes being stone drunk. I remember chasing him in the snow, and his 
underclothes running out there trying to get him to come back while he was swinging at me. But I got him back in the house and he fell flat on his face in the hall. So I just left him there. Never said a word. He never said a word to me. You were sharing with me what, while you were kind of telling me about growing up and some of the difficulties there. When, when your father passed away, um, some of the healing and the emotional, um, the way that God had you work through your relationship with your dad. I always had such regrets for some of the terrible things they said about my dad. And I, I said to my mom, and she said, all you can do is ask God to forgive you. Well, one day I was listening to Dr. Charles Stanley on the TV, and he said, if there's a relative of yours that you, you really love but you never got along with and you equally were mean to them for what they did to you, you should go to their grave and sit there with them and talk to them like you were talking to them and tell them about what you did and how you wanted to be forgiven by them for it. And I did that at my dad's grave. And after that, I started seeing some of the great things my father did, like joining the Army at 17 years old before Pearl Harbor and enlisting to be in the Army Air Corps and being so good in his school that he was picked at the elite ones to go over to hump the first four waves. And he lived through them 11 hours over and back if you came back. in a thing, a thing about as big as where I'm sitting like that with your arms on a gun on a hunk of wood. I went and flew on a B-20, and I saw what he went through. And uh, to the day he died, he never lost his eye for being able to have to shoot. We had a rabid raccoon or a rabid uh, fox, and it was about from here down to that wall, and he took it out with one shot the day before he died, wow. right to the back of the head so he wouldn't spread the rabies. I think a, a lot of people can relate to that as far as having unresolved um, things with parents or grandparents, and um, it's neat to see how God has uh, continued to work in your life in, in that regard. And, and yet, I realized after that that I always loved my father, mm-hmm. and I remembered the one time when I got in an accident and almost got killed, and he, he was crying, and he actually told me he loved me one of the few times. You also had um, the Lord really has worked in your life through the influence of your mother. Yeah. And, and through, can you can you tell us just a little bit about, about your mom? Mom always made sure one way or another we got to Sunday school. And I thank God she did because I had the most wonderful Sunday school teacher named Elwood Shriver, who to this day, even though he's passed on, I think about him and I often tell his daughter how much his life meant to me. He was such a good Christian man that when he was dying in the hospital, he was patting the nurses on the shoulder and telling them how wonderful they were for taking care of him. And I was driving truck at the time, and I went to see him. I hadn't seen him in 40 years, and I met him at a, at a donut shop. He was buying donuts. I said, Edward, what are you doing with them? But first, he said to me, there's one of my little boys, and he hadn't seen me in 40 years. And he said, I'm doing this to help those who are poor. And Elwood never really had any money, hardly at all, but he had riches in Christ. And so I met a guy the next day delivering on my route who had, I didn't realize had been in the room with somebody else. And he said to me, how's the wonderful man doing? I said, the wonderful man passed out of this world. He said, oh, what a shame. I said, no, it is. And he's with Jesus Christ now. He was a firm Christian man. That's why you can understand how kind he was when he was in such agony. So Sunday school was always there for me. If, if someone didn't give us a ride, a neighbor, then my dad would drop us off. And we went to the church picnics and all those kind of things in church. And uh, then we'd have the dinner, the old time days, the dinner after church all the good stuff cooking on the gas stove. <laughs> and uh, then after that, my mother, 
started to want to go to these southern gospel songs later on down the line, and I'd always take her to them because she was trying to get me to become a Christian, not to just know God, but to truly know Jesus. And in the end, that's what helped to lead me to there. It was my mother in every way. And when she died, she bowed her hands and lowered her head and passed on. The guy told me at the nursing home as if she was praying. She also helped me with many other experiences in my life. She was always there. We argued now and then, but that was because I wasn't a Christian and I could be rough. <laughs> so you my mother's name was Esther, by the way. Esther Watkins Ziegler. Souter, maiden name. Be- beautiful name. Um, you, you alluded to this, that um, even though you were growing up in church and Sunday school, that you didn't really have a relationship with Christ. And actually, you shared with me, um, you, you went some with went through some pretty rough times just emotionally, mentally, in your young young adulthood. What was that like? Oh, I always felt so inferior. My father always told me I was stupid and I couldn't do anything. And, and I got in trouble in school, and I never really did graduate, but it never held me back. I ended up even working in an office. So, so much for education is always the answer. I knew enough from 8th grade or eight, from 10th grade to handle it all. And um, I was always being belittled by him, and he always yelled at me. And sometimes he'd drive me out of the house. One time I slept in a car in the junkyard at night because uh, there was nowhere to go, and it was raining. Or else I'd grab a piece of cardboard and go out into the farm field and lay out there in the, in the summertime. It was hard. I never, I never really hated my dad, though, and I hated the things I had said, and that's why I had to have that healing. It was a rough, rough, and there was a time... When I was about 17, I first was driving where I thought about killing myself. I drove over to Green Lane. I parked the car. I looked at the fence where the dam was, and I felt like somebody said to me, don't do this. And I didn't, and I never thought about that again. And I know it was the Lord. <laughs> Sorry, I get emotional. <laughs> so... um can you, one of just the, as I've gotten to know you better, Dave, it's so clear that just God's mercy and grace is like a theme in your life in such a profound way. And it's especially evident in the way that you came to know him. So can you tell us about the miracle that you experienced um, that, that ultimately led to you becoming uh, a true Christ follower? Yes, I can, and I also have the original papers that case when people told me I was nuts, I showed it to them, and they said, wow. <laughs> I was 26 and a half years old, not married, taking care of my mom, couldn't meet anybody, and I always had this longing for someone, which God realized it wasn't the right thing for me, so it just never happened, but that's fine now. I've come to peace with all that, but I went to this party, and there was a couple girls I knew, and no one would even bother with me. No one would dance with me. It was over in Chester Springs. I don't even know where the house is to this day. But I, And I wasn't an, an alcoholic or anything, but I started drinking beer, and I must have drank at least probably 15 cans of beer or more in the time I was there. And then I walked out. No one stopped me. They left me go, and I uh, got in the car. And I drove all the way up to Spring City. And when I came over the old bridge that had the low sides, for a second I passed out and brushed the curb and then quick grabbed the wheel and got back over. 
I looked in front of me, and the street side street was the cop sitting there waiting. So I didn't. I knew it. He knew what I did, and I wasn't going to make a, any more mess in my life. So I stopped. He took me up to a guy who was named Charles Dash, and he arraigned me for drunken driving at DUI, which if that would have happened, I would have never been able to do the things God wanted me to do. Again, I wasn't a Christian yet. I knew Jesus, but I didn't know him. So he took me down to the, the barracks, which was right in Limerick, where the courts are now, coming down the road on the right from Pottstown, and they turned on the machine, and they stuck me in a chair, and the cop who stopped me didn't, didn't get involved. He went off on the side, but the police sitting there started to mock me when I sat and bowed my head and prayed. And I asked God to spare me, and they heard me saying it. And the one cop said, oh, yeah, he's going to spare you. You should have thought of God when you did what you did tonight. And I sat there for quite a while that a machine was ready. And instantly, not this wasn't overtime. This was an instant miracle. I felt my hands. I felt my body. And I knew that I was stone sober. And so I walked straight as an arrow to the machine. I took the thing in for three times. I deliberately blew as hard as I could because I felt like God wanted me to do that. And he said, it's a zero. No alcohol in your body at all. And this is only like an hour or so after, you know, I've been wiped out totally. So then I had this fear because I didn't really know much about God's mercy. What am I going to say? I don't want to lie after he did this amazing thing for me in my life. Because I had said to him, God, I know there's things you want me to do in my life. And I won't be able to do anything or be anybody if I end up with this especially those days, and uh, I didn't have to say a word. The policeman came over. He patted me on the side of my shoulder. He said, Dave, I know what happened. You've been working and working and working because you told me you worked for con on construction equipment. He said, you got so weary that it mimicked being drunk. He said, we're going to get in the car, go back up to the district court, dearrange you, and I'm going to give you a $15 no points fine for operating on the wrong side of the road, and then I'm going to follow you to the end of town to make sure you're all right. And I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And I left that place. I came in that place barely able to walk. And I left walking straight as an arrow. Never, ever to this very moment forgetting that Jesus Christ did that for me. There is nothing. If nothing else comes out of my speaking today, there is nothing that God cannot do. Whether it's over a period of time or whether it's just like that can't snap my fingers anymore but that's how quick it was one minute I was crying and pleading for mercy and the next minute I was completely healed of being drunk never drank and drove again ever it's amazing story and um there was still a, a time after that that sort of you coming back to Christ or coming to him really for the first time was a, a progressive sort of process and uh, you'd mentioned the concerts your mom used to go to and there was one in particular that kind of sealed the deal for you can can you tell us about that we always followed the eastman quartet that sang out of east greenville and their home church was there and they were having a sort of a jubilee there they were going to be singing and they were bringing in a special evangelist named alvis barnett i always remember that name of that godly man and alvis started to do his preaching. I was sitting with my mom, and I could see her looking at me and thinking, oh, I hope it's tonight. <laughs> and he, he had one eye, his left eye, there was a patch, there was no eye there. And he explained, the reason for this patch is I was an up-and-coming star for years. 
I was with Johnny Cash and all of them. And then I started drinking. And I'd been a saved person since I was a little boy. And I walked away from the Lord. And he said, one night, coming from a honky-tonk, the only job I could get, making hardly any money, a piece of steel off a freight truck in front of me came through the windshield straight into my eye and took my eye out. And he said, I pulled over and waited for help. And when I pulled over, I said, Lord, I know what you want. You want me to come back. And then he said, if anyone here wants Christ tonight, don't hesitate. Don't sit there and say, maybe the next time, come forward right now and get on your knees and ask him to save you. I ran. I ran to the altar and got down on my knees and asked God to save me. The most wonderful thing that ever happened in my life. Never will forget it. Never will forget Alvis. And I'll never forget the song that was sang this morning, which God gave me as my song after I was saved. And I heard Dave Boyer sing in, and I saw him play his saxophone at a church ministry where he gave his testimony. Calvary covers it all. Every verse, and it had been a long time since I'd seen the whole song, all the verses. I only heard part of it. Every verse in there was me and is me. And and Calvary covers it all, past, present, and future. Like Corey Tan Boone said, in the deepest part of the ocean with a no fishing sign. Thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yeah, praise God. So you, uh, you, alluded to, um, you alluded to the future ministry and how the DUI would have uh, kept you from, from the future ministry that God gave you. Can you tell us a little bit about the ministry you had over the years when you were driving truck? I went to the city most every day. I don't know how I ever, only the Lord kept me alive going down that expressway for 18 years. And uh, I started to have people that knew I, when they found out I was a Christian because I wasn't ashamed to tell people anywhere I went that I was a Christian. I'd never be ashamed of Christ. Even when I worked with all kinds of people at Cabot Corporation in the office and there were Muslims, everybody, they asked me something. I would say to them, if you like the way I am, it's because of Jesus Christ. So anyway, they'd ask me, could you get us a Bible? Because we don't have any Bible stores down there. Oh, we, we don't have anything but these religious shops. And there is a lot of those so-called religious shops down there, but no real Christian stores. So I started bringing them some Bibles, and it, it suddenly dawned on me one day, looking at a catalog from International Bible, that you could buy a case of, I think it was 12 or 20, 24, I think, Bibles for like, $15. So I started getting the Bibles, and then I would lay out scriptures of salvation on the front page, and at the bottom I would always put Habakkuk, mostly Habakkuk 3, but 2 and 3 sometimes, which we can read it later if I can. I got my glasses, but I don't know if I can read it. I may have to have you read it. But anyway, I had this whole list of different verses for who, what I felt should be for whatever, whoever that person was, I'd give it to, and I'd always pray about it, put the right verses for the person I give this to. And then one time, Mom and I were down south, and we went to this evangelistic church, and the lady worked at a Christian bookstore, and she had these neat little metal plates that you could get engraved, and I got Jesus' Lord put on them and put them on all the Bibles, and I got little lunch bags that they just would fit in so that they wouldn't have to worry if, you know, it rained or it wouldn't get ruined. And I used to pull up in the curb and I'd ask the person, would you like a Bible? And 99% of them would say, I'd love to have a Bible. And so I started doing that for many, many years. And I never once 
wanted to count or even know what I gave because I don't want it to, it's not me, it's him. But the amazing thing was some of the people that I met doing it. One time I was driving down where this whole block was abandoned. It was one of those little streets where you can't put cars, just two sidewalks. And the street was littered with needles. So I had to watch where I walked, but there was this girl about halfway down sitting on an abandoned step with her head down crying. And I walked up, never looked behind me, wasn't worried. There'd be nobody behind me because God wouldn't let his work not be done. And uh, I asked her if she'd like to have a Bible. And she said, you know, I've always wanted to have a Bible, something like that. So I gave her the Bible and I prayed for God to bless her. And then I walked away and I know someday I'm going to see her in heaven. And then there was Frank. I'll never forget Frank. Because he was in a lot of pain and he was sick in the summer days, his family would stick him in a rolling bed and sit him out on the sidewalk. I saw this man laying on his bed in the sidewalk, and I stopped the truck. I got up to him. I had a Bible in my hand, and I asked him his name. He said, my name's Frank, so I wrote his name in there. And I said, would you like to have this Bible? He said, sure, I can read. I'd love to have it to read while I'm out here by myself because they don't want me in there. So I gave Frank a Bible. And it was it was just like, oh. And there was other things I did, too, besides the Bible. I used to, Thanksgiving, I met these black people at church on Diamond Street. I think Ralph went there with me once. And um, my mom and I pulled money together. And between the two of us and donations, we got 200 bucks together. And I filled that cab with turkeys and dropped them off at their church. Somewhere in all my stuff is this little note a black kid sent to me that he said, Mr. Dave, God bless you for what you did for us children. That's worth more than all the money in the world. Uh, you had you had uh, you were sharing a story with me about a, a weekend that you had with the uh, Peter, Paul, and John. And oh. <laughs> can you can you tell us that story? Yes, I was uh, I was on uh, in a truck driving down Huntington Park Avenue, which is a pretty bad area where Tasty Cake used to be, and there was a, a Burger King, which is gone now. And I saw this man sitting on the bench. And and I was walking by to get something. He said, are you going in to eat? I said, yes. He said, would you buy me some food? I won't take the money. And that way you'll know that I want to eat. I am hungry. So I said, sure. So I took him in and I bought him a bunch of food. And I asked him his name and he said, it was John. And then <clears throat> I felt guilty. So I went back again and he was on the bench late in the day. And he had another fellow with him. And his name was Paul. So I gave them some more money, and I saw them walk over and go into Burger King. So then Saturday came, and every weekend to get away from my dad, my mom and I would go to Pottsville and shop there and hang up there and go in the library. It was a nice time. And so we were in the Boscovs up there where I had a crush on a girl at the time. Unfortunately, that never worked out. Her name was Cheryl, and I was she was real little and I thought she was great, but she didn't think that of me. <laughs> anyway, we were in that store, and that's where I actually, and, and I'll say it right now, I saw an angel, and I'll tell you how. When I came into that store, there was this guy sort of disheveled, looking at TV and standing. I noticed him. For some reason, I just noticed him. And then later, I went up, and to get up, to get out of Boscovs, you could not come from the bathroom. The bathroom led to a second floor where there were no exits, zero exits. So I went up to the bathroom, and this guy shows up after I'm done in the room, and he says, sir, could you give me $5? I came up here looking for work, and I need to try to get a bus to go home to Baltimore or wherever he came from. And I reached in my pocket, and I had 5 bucks in my pocket, so I gave it to him. And uh, I asked him his name, and he said, my name is Peter. 
So Peter, Paul, and John, the apostles. So I came down the stairs, and it was like God said to me, I want you to wait here a while. I want you to watch for him. I stood there for about an hour. He never came down. I went up right to the room, not a sign of him. I think it was God saying, your last test of the day, feed my people, feed my angels. And so that that never went away either. I've told people, some people thought it was nuts, but when someone doesn't come down and they're not there, what else could it have been? And And there are times when those things happen. It was a test to see if my heart was right with money. Would I give the last $5 I had now, not when I was driving a truck, but now when I was up there to help him? And so I did. And so mom bought me dinner. (laughs) When I told her this story, she's like, wow. The the last thing you had mentioned to me that you might want to share about was um, coming to Parker Ford Church. And, and how you got here. Do you want to, is there anything about that that you'd like to share? Yes. I, uh, I went where I used to go for 43 years altogether. Even after I was saved, I went there. It got better for quite a while. And uh, when, the, when the Eastern Senate decided that change all the rules and do wrong things, me and Ralph both left the church. And I was thinking, where am I going to go? Because a lot of churches, they just sing and sing and sing and sing. I want, you know, scriptures. I want what I always wanted and didn't get there. And I thought of Shorty Tyson. His name was Harrison Tyson, named after, I guess, President Harrison. But anyway, he was a little short guy. He was uh, five five foot at the most, four nine. And I worked with him in the distillery. He was a maintenance mechanic. And he always said to me, Davey, when they got a job down in a hole, I get it. <laughs> so he always witnessed about this church when it was over on the road there and how wonderful and godly a church was how every deacon and everybody in the church were really really christ-driven people and that he was very thankful to go there and i i wasn't a christian yet then that's long that was before that happened you know i was out of high school and i was working at the distillery and um i said to him well don't they judge that you work here he said no it's just a job they know that is a job which I got when the depression ended and and prohibition ended. And he said, I've been there all these years. He probably worked there 45 years at least. And uh, he said, I, I'm, I'm always with godly people on Sundays. They do not judge. They understand. And so I thought of that about a week or so after I left my church. I thought, I've got to go there. I've got to see this. So I called his wife, who was still living at that moment, and asked her how she was. I had given her one of those Bibles, and she said, I asked her if she still had it. She said, yeah, I read it every single day. So that's pretty cool when you put someone's name on, because I got her name on it. And I always felt that when I get Bibles, if I could, I should put the person's name to connect them with it personally. So anyway, she was excited I was going to come, and she said, I'll see you there in two weeks when I was going to come. And she died suddenly, and she never did see me here, but she knew I was coming. And... Uh, so it was because of Shorty Tyson talking about this church, and then I emailed Tim, I think it was, and Tim was away on some kind of ministry. So Josh answered me and said, I'll be glad to meet you. I'll meet you at the front door, and he did. And I've been coming ever since. I think it's, I think I'm going on nine years now or ten, one or the other. I forget. You do when you get old. <laughs> but it's at least nine years in August. So thanks to Shorty. God, all those years before I was a Christian, 
already had a plan for when I left the Lutheran Church when they started doing things that were very ungodly in the synod here. I always say this synod because out west, like I said, they're awesome. And so he already had a plan for a church for me where I hope to stay to the day I leave and go to be to the real church in heaven. Well, Dave, one of the things I've really appreciated about my time with you, um, not just this week getting ready, but but my our weekly interactions here is you always have a list of dozen, 15, I don't know how many people that you're praying for constantly by name. And um, I just really want to affirm that. And um, thank you for that heart for, for the friends and family that, that you pray for that, that don't know the Lord, but you're praying uh, would come to know him. Sometimes I don't even know the person, but I know their name and I know of them and I know they need Christ. So this is uh, Habakkuk 2. Can I read yes. Habakkuk 2, 3? That little verse I wrote, too, I have there. Uh, which one? That one, that one there. I had that and the other one in the front of my office. I had that one and the other one in the front of my office with a sign that said, because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Not one person ever complained to HR about it. Not one. So the, the first one uh, says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then the second one you had uh, hanging in your office said, I wrote it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And then uh, this is Habakkuk 2, the verse that um, two and three. Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3 that uh, you used to inscribe on the Bibles. And then, um, Mike, wherever, you, wherever you're at, I'll invite you forward to uh, reflect. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Amen to that. Amen. Maybe not exactly the vision you think, but the vision God has for you. Like I say, I always thought I'd have kids and stuff, but God had better things for me to do, like take care of my mother till she died and all the other things that I've been able to do that you couldn't have done when you were married. You couldn't have been buying cases of Bibles because you would have had to you know, take care of your own family, maybe a few, but. Not the way I was able to do it. I even had people that weren't Christians like what I did so much. They'd give me money to get people Bibles, believe it or not. That's awesome. Well, Mike's reflecting. Um, I invite you to take a posture of listening um, as he reflects on what the Lord would have uh, for Dave, but also for, for a body and praise team. Um, come on forward and you can lead us in, in closing song after uh, brother finishes. Thank you. And thank you, Dave. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for being my humble. privilege. Um, thank you for being responsive to the prompting of the spirit. And there's there are a couple of common threads throughout the course of that entire discussion from whenever you were young to to now. And a couple of things that really stood out as one is a complete submission to the sovereignty of God from a place of you know, over intoxication. If there's over intoxication, uh, in you know, in, in 
in front of police and being prompted there and doing that out loud. You know, how many of us do things and we do it silently and quietly? Not that that's wrong, but there was no restraint there. You know, it was complete uh, submission to who he is and acknowledgement uh, of who God is. The other thing that I see in there, and this, these kind of go hand in hand, is obedience to the Spirit's prompting, whether that was buying Bibles for people or, go ahead. Whenever I have a feeling that God wants me to do something, like get somebody a Bible, even now with no money, I find a way to do it because if he wants me to do it, I got to do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. In an instant of time, he's, he's spared me that. If he can do that for somebody who is such a mess in some ways as I am, truly, he is the God of all mercy. And also obedience in speaking words of encouragement to people as well. And having a list, like DJ was talking about, a list of folks that you're praying for. And I know when we've had conversations, you share that very openly and, and ask for other people to pray for people that you have had opportunities to interact with. And in this conversation, there's not a focus on self. The focus is truly on God. And that's been the intent with all of these testimonies, is to point us to the one who is the, the maker and provider and the sustainer of, of us and of all. The, another component in that that I see is forgiveness as well. You know, there is, there is so much power in forgiveness, and God revealed that to you in your relationship with your father. Oh, there's something I also forgot to mention. When I worked at Toyota as a shuttle driver, the one brother... The one that didn't own the place was constantly screaming at me and yelling at me and treating me so bad and threatening to fire me that I quit. And I haven't been, got sick and I haven't been able to get a job since. But then he had a stroke. And instead of being angry at him, I felt so bad. I brought his name on the prayer list. I sent him cards all the time where he was rehabbing. And one day I walked in there. And he was sitting in his wheelchair and I threw my arms around him. And he said to me, I am thankful don't worry about me being bitter. I am thankful that God, he didn't say God, but he said that I'm alive and I, I got married this late in the summer and I have no anger about what happened to me. So I think God's working on his heart. Mm. It's kind of my hope to get some money together one of these days and get him a fancy Bible with this name on. <laughs> Amen. By the way, pray for him. His name is Donnie. Donnie. Okay. Thank you. And within that strained relationship with your dad, I know there's realization there, but I think what God is saying, too, is that he fulfills that void. You know, he's the one, the author of love. He's the author of comfort. He's the one that provides that communion that um, maybe was longed for there. And he, he's the one that meets those needs. Now look at Psalm 149.4, especially with your new coat this morning. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And I hope that whenever you see that coat, whether you wear it or whether you see it in your closet, that it reminds you of what God has adorned you with, and that's his salvation. And for us as a congregation, um, two things, again, that I think we can take away. One is the incredible power of forgiveness. Um, Dave, Simon, you had, no, you went behind me. Dave, Simon, you had uh, texted me the memory verse for this week for your Sunday school class and while we were talking about that last night as a family we went a little bit further beyond 
uh, Ephesians 4.29, and later on it talks about bitterness and says that all bitterness and anger and clamor and wrath be put away from you. And why is that a command? It's a command because God knows that that brings freedom in our lives. And whenever Satan gets a stronghold of bitterness in us, it really makes it difficult. And so it would have been very easy for Dave to establish bitterness toward his dad uh, in the relationships that they had and the difficulties that they struggled through. But Dave found a way to forgive. Actually, God invoked Dave with the power to forgive. And I think that's one of the things that God wants to remind us this morning. And the other thing that uh, I think is for us is Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Uh, and this is the key verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dave spoke about the influence that his mom had on him. And as parents, we have incredible responsibility, but also incredible opportunity to have influence on the next generation. And that's what God's calling us to. So let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for God, for your sovereignty. Lord, for who you are, God, for who you are in our lives, for who you are in creation, for the way that you reveal yourself in so many different ways. Lord, we thank you for Dave. We thank you for the power of the testimony that he has that points us to you. God, we thank you for the, the forgiveness that you have allowed him to have in his life. We thank you for the testimony that he is. And God, we thank you for his obedience to the prompting of your spirit whenever that comes. And God, I pray that you might help us to follow that example as well. And Lord, as a congregation, that as we see uh, this particular testimony and as we've seen testimonies over the course of the last six weeks, Lord, that we see your power. Lord, that we don't see the individual, God, because that is not the desire. The desire is to see you and to point everyone to you. And God, that is the intent of the testimonies that have been shared as well, uh, because we know that there is power in those. God, give us the power to forgive. God, lead us in what we do each day. And Father, allow us to be lights to those around us. And we'll thank you for it in your name. Amen. Dave, thank you for sharing with us. Let's stand and sing in closing.